Hello, everybody. This is Flea Market Fantasy number 15, the podcast that reviews random Bronze Age comic books. I am your co-host, Mike L., and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week, once again, we have a very special yes. guest. Would you like to introduce <laughs> yourself, special guest? <laughs> well, I'll introduce him. Uh, uh, I'll introduce yeah, him. There you go. Okay. Let me handle this. Uh, our, our guest this evening is a longtime uh, fan favorite of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. He, he hosts his own little fake radio show on the LCS Hockey Radio Network oh. called The Original Janksters. And he's also my personal accountant. This oh. man <laughs> has kept me out of prison more times than I can count. <laughs> Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the one and only Kevin Jank. Hey, everybody. <laughs> there he is. So I guess that's not a secret identity. I can call you, like, everyone knows that you're Kevin, right? So I can call you Kevin? Well, yeah, that's fine. Jank. <laughs> call him Jank. Jank. All right. All right. I'll oh, answer you. And uh, well, let's get some uh, background info on you, Jank, uh, in terms of comic books, because I know you're a big comic books fan. We always talk comic books when you come on the LCS show. Uh, when did you start reading comic books? What's like your earliest memory of comic books? Uh, I mean, I had probably in the 80s uh, a handful of random comics, but they were all like, you know, He-Man, Thundercats, that kind of thing. And just be like a <laughs> nice. single issue here and there. <laughs> uh, it wasn't really until the 90s that I really got into it. And I think what actually started me was the X-Men cartoon show. Oh, okay. um, that show, I loved it so much that I was like, I need to look into these X-Men. And yeah. uh, so one year for oh, Christmas. Let's, let's just remind everybody, Jake, you're a little younger than Mike L and I, correct? Yeah, you're a little about, bit. I'm about 10 bit. years younger. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a whole, he's like toughy, Mike L. He's in a yeah. thing. So you're an accountant. He's a lawyer. I am doing nothing of the sort. Nothing <laughs> nearly as successful. But anyway. Mike L, you're hosting 12 comic book podcasts. Yeah, that's true. Just about. That's true. <laughs> Are you talking done. about the ledge? All right. You're the world's expert on Quasar. That's got yeah, to yeah. That's gotta get exactly. you all kind of tail. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> uh, so w- what happened to you on Christmas, Jake? <laughs> uh, so I think this was probably like 1992, I want to say. There was one of those catalogs, like Sears catalog or something like that. Yeah. They had this special deal for like, it was like um, 15 X-Men related comics from yes. that year. Uh, so I got that for Christmas, and I was super excited, you know, read them all. It was a couple X-Men, Uncannies, uh, a little bit of X-Factor and X-Force. Um, and so I loved the, the shit out of those. But then <laughs> soon afterwards, something happened where I got a Pog Maker. <laughs> a Pog Maker. Now, for those who yeah. don't remember what Pogs are, please explain. <laughs> uh, Pogs were a stupid thing where they were just like little cardboard discs. Uh, that had yeah. pictures on them, and I had this maker thing that would, had like basically it came with blank pogs that had a sticky side, and you could put anything you want on there, and it would kind of trim the the edges and stuff. So you can kind of imagine what happened to most of those comics. Yeah, so those comics are all turned into pogs. Yeah, that's sad because I ended up rebuying like all of those issues again. <laughs> <later>. <laughs> Mike L, were pogs a thing up in Canada? They were, they existed, but I, I just never got into them, you know, like, I know yeah, that we were a little older. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and also there was a time in like the mid nineties where comics kind of like the market crashed and it was like everyone kind of splintered off into other hobbies. And a lot of people went into like Magic the Gathering. A lot of people went into Pogs. 
but I just stuck with comics, you know, the whole way through. So yeah, that was a good choice. (laughs) I think the pog phase lasted probably a month, but yeah, (laughs) you invested. Boy, did it cost me a lot of things. (laughs) It destroyed all Jenks comic books. So, so Jank, what are you reading these days? What's your favorite uh, books to read now? Uh, I've cut down quite a bit. Like there was a time, like especially like, right around the Civil War era of Marvel, where I was reading like most of the books Marvel was putting out. But nowadays, I'm down to just a couple. Uh, like Amazing Spider-Man, I still read that. Uh, Daredevil, um, Immortal Hulk's pretty good. Speaking of what we're going to be talking about today, yeah. So yeah, you you have been reading Hulk uh, for a while though. Like you, you used to read these uh, Peter David Todd McFarlane run on Hulk back in the day, right? You bought them all and stuff. Yeah, well, I actually got into it at the very, like, tail end of it. Um, I want to say my Hulk started with, there was, like, near the end of Peter David's run, there was a thing where, uh, it was like an X-Men crossover where the Hulk became the horseman of war, I believe it was, for Apocalypse. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah. So uh, I, I checked that out, and I really liked it. And I kept reading Hulk through the end of Peter David's run, and I was just like, this is so good, I need to go back and get all of it. Uh, so basically, I went back and got everything back to 300, which was even before he started. But all yeah. that stuff kind of leading up to his era. And, yeah, uh, I, sh- I should uh, make it clear to everybody, this episode of Flea Market Fantasy, we will be reviewing The Incredible Hulk number 334, written by Peter David, drawn by Todd McFarlane. Uh, now, Michael, what's your history with Hulk? Because it seems like you've read Peter David as well, right? Oh, yes. So I was first exposed to the Hulk through the Bill Bixby TV show, yes. right? Yeah. Which yeah. I still watch. Me and my brother are going through the whole series right now. We're on episode <laughs> season three. I, I still love that show. Nice. And then- hey, hey, hey Michael, real quick. Uh, one thing I learned about that TV show when I was researching here today, do you know like, that TV show is kind of the reason why She-Hulk was invented? Oh, because they wanted to like kind of cut them off at the past before they yes. could create a She-Hulk or a female version of the Hulk, right? Because they came out with the Incredible Hulk and then you had the $6 million man and then they came out with the Bionic Woman and Stan Lee mm-hmm. was like, oh, they're going to try and rip off the Hulk. So let's hurry up and get a She-Hulk in production and they ran it out there and that's why we have She-Hulk because of the Bill Bixby show. And I believe it was literally drawn on a week over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I had no yeah, idea. And, and if, uh, I actually have that first issue, and it's one of those ones where there's only like four panels per page because they were just, John Buscem <laughs> was banging it out as quick as possible, you know, just to get it on the stand. So, yep. Had it out by Tuesday, anyway. You read more right there. than beyond the TV show. Like, you cared about Hulk in the comics as well. Yes. Or... Like, you know, then there was the cartoon, the early 80s cartoon. And then um, once I started buying comics on a regular basis, um, I had a couple issues. See, the, the key thing about Peter David is he was the first writer I recognized by name, you know, because I, every once in a while I'd be reading a comic and I, you know, I kind of knew I accepted that comic books had, you know, more wooden dialogue than like an the average TV show. And whenever I'd read a comic with good dialogue, I always remember no, noticing it was always by Peter David, right? Because he, he was mm-hmm. writing Spider-Man at the time and he was writing The Hulk and maybe a few other things. So that's what made me kind of notice him. And then once McFarlane, I mean, also, I think McFarlane started in the same issue or one issue after him or something. I think it was like a bit after. Before. Yeah. Yeah. So once he started, like right away, I was in love with McFarlane's art. So I kind of followed them for, you know, a few issues here and there. And then when McFarlane went to Spider-Man, I followed him there. And then my brother is actually the one that collected Hulk. So I read it 
from around whatever, 330 something all the way up to at least 400, 400 and something, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I was a huge fan. I just love that whole run. But this early, what, what's that? It's one of your favorite runs? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like this early era when he's the, the, the Gray Hulk is absolutely my favorite. Just love it, you know? I wish they would have kept that kind of, that, that status quo. Uh, just to uh, clarify the point you made about them starting, uh, David started on Hulk with issue 328, and then he skipped 329 and 330, but he came back for 331 through 359 originally, and Todd McFarlane started on 330. So okay. kind of right oh, around the same time. That's right. They kind of, okay, gotcha. But anyway. and, I, and I'm also in the middle of rereading them. It's just, it's a weird coincidence. I started rereading them this year. So right now I'm up to like, the, I don't know, 360-something or whatever. But, yeah, so this is perfect. I have no history with Peter David whatsoever. Um, uh, I think I've read... Fast. I probably read some of his uh, X-Factor stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. I think. I think. Also uh, like, incredibly good. Really good. Yeah, like I only had a handful of them. Um, but I seem to recall he did that. And we'll get into his career later on. Yeah, but um, this that. is... Uh, my experience with Hulk, I really wasn't a huge fan as a kid. Uh, just occasionally, you know, whenever he crossed over a Spider-Man or something, I, I think I only own about three Hulk issues. And one of them happens to be the issue 340, correct, Jank, where he fights Wolverine? Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah. Pretty sure it's 340. Yeah. yeah. One of the greatest covers ever. Absolutely. But but here's, here's what I didn't realize when I was researching the Hulk here for this uh, big uh, fake radio show. I didn't realize that initially the Incredible Hulk was canceled. Yes, number six. Yeah, it, they only did six issues. Stanley and Kirby did the first five, and then Steve Ditko drew issue six, and they canceled it after six issues. Right. I had no idea. Yeah. He's also the second, the second Marvel superhero, I believe, right? After uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. Yeah. And, and the uh, inspiration for him was because Stanley knew that everyone liked the, the thing. And he thought people always felt emotional connections to like monsters or like uh, the hunchback in Notre Dame, you know, Quasimodo. So he's like, oh, I mm -hmm. want to create another little monster character. So that, and he said he'll do something like Jekyll and Hyde kind of. And so he, yeah. uh, he came up with the Hulk. Um, so after the six issues and they got canceled, Hulk would appear in other stuff while he went to the Avengers and, uh, he also he started appearing regularly in a book called Tales to Astonish. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then at issue 102 of Tales to Astonish, it just became the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yep. That is very confusing. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around back then, I feel like. Oh yeah, yeah, Captain America over and make it something right. else. Yeah, so did that. Yeah. So technically, if you want to read say issue 98 of the Incredible Hulk, you're really reading 98 of Tales to Astonish. Right, yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> Numbering has always been confusing. <laughs> Even before and, they started relaunching books every year. Right. And, and that started in 1968, where he got his own book. He took right, it over. Right, right. Astonished. So there's like a five-year run there where he was, or a four-year run where he's bouncing around to different right. things. And then he got his own book. So, all right. I guess that can bring us to this issue here, issue 334, called uh, Grave, Grave Circumstances. Grave Circumstances. <laughs> I wanted to say consequences. Circumstances. <laughs> yeah. uh, from 1987. Off the quite as well. From 1987, uh, Incredible Hulk. And 
Jank, there are a lot of characters in this book that I had <laughs> no idea who they were. <laughs> Holy hell. Yeah, that's for sure. A lot of them didn't quite last, but some of them did. Yeah. Should we talk about the status quo of the Hulk at this time? Yes, because <laughs> uh, first of all, Jank, if I'm correct, you wanted to pick a well, we were talking about what issue to pick. And um, I was thinking something in the 70s. And you're like, well, I didn't read that. But you read uh, in the 80s with Peter Davis. So I'm like, oh, that's perfect. And then uh, you're looking for stories. Why did you settle on 334? Uh, well, I was trying oh, to look hello. at the ones from like 87, and a lot of them were really hardcore part of a storyline, like an ongoing thing with the leader or something like that, uh, or part of like a multi-parter with X-Factor and stuff like that, where this one was kind of as close as we could get to being self-contained. <laughs> Although it's, even at that, it's not that yeah. self-contained. So tell the kids what's uh, going on with Hulk at this uh, time, Jank. Like, what, what should we, what's happening here? Because he's the Gray Hulk. He's the Gray Hulk. Yep, this is the Gray Hulk. Uh, he recently, uh, so shortly before this, he got back from being banished to this limbo-like place uh, by Doctor Strange because he was just wild. Uh, and he, he came back home, and they finally managed to separate the Hulk from Bruce Banner, and he married Betty. After all this time, and things were looking great <laughs> until they now realized. This, I got a question here. Uh, um, yeah. When you say he separated Hulk from Bruce Banner, because this is brought up a lot, it, like he just got him out of his mind, right? They physically split them into two <clears throat> beings. Yes. See, that's where I was confused. Yeah. So, it gets so even Hulk, more confusing from there. So Hulk existed and Bruce Banner existed as two separate beings. Yep. Which became a problem very quickly because they realized, oh shit, neither of these are complete beings and they're both dying. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so they kind of had to reintegrate them again. But of course, when they tried to do that, things went awry and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> I believe like Thunderbolt Ross was trying to monkey with it because, you know, he hates the Hulk so much. And uh, Rick Jones tried to stop him. And in doing so, he ended up falling into the nutrient bath that they were using for this whole thing. <laughs> so he ended up becoming the Green Hulk while Bruce Banner was left as the Gray Hulk. Oh. Yeah, Rick Jones became kind of like a skinnier version of the Hulk with long hair. Yeah, yep. Okay, I got so many questions. All right, but uh, <laughs> Gray Hulk returned in Hulk 324, written and drawn by Al Milgram. I know mm -hmm. that much. Uh, so what's the difference, Mike L., between Grey Hulk and Green Hulk? Summarize it for us. Uh, well, Grey Hulk is based on the first appearance of the Hulk in Hulk number one. Uh, so when he first appeared, he was gray and he was intelligent. He could speak in full sentences. He was a little bit weaker. And he also turned in – Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk at sundown rather than because of, um, you know, getting angry or whatever. Like a werewolf. Yeah, exactly, yeah. like a werewolf. Now, if you if you go back and read those er, er, early issues, there's no cutoff. It's kind of a gradual thing where first it's the moon, then it's this radiation gun that Rick Jones shoots him with, and then eventually it's anger. <laughs> but what yeah. they did was they basically decided to make it like this Greyhawk is a separate, you know, separate personality, separate power level, all that stuff. And the Green Hulk is dumb and stronger, basically. <laughs> I, yeah, I think they refer to the Green Hulk as Savage Hulk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Later on, around like 393 or something like that, there was this whole thing, this like backup feature that Peter David wrote about like the psychology of the Hulk and about how like the I think the Green Hulk was like the id 
Uh, the Gray Hulk was like his ego, and Banner is the super ego, and it was really yeah. well thought out and cool, and I loved it. <laughs> ah, <laughs> he put right. a lot of thought into this character. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and also when he was the Gray Hulk, there was a time where he was like a enforcer in Las Vegas. Joe Fixit. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's shortly after this. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like the next era, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Yeah, Grey Hulk physically is a little smaller than Green Hulk, right? Right. Yeah, and he's not nearly as invulnerable. Like, he heals, but he's not, like, as, you know, impenetrable as the regular Green Hulk. Yeah, because when he was fighting Wolverine, Wolverine was hacking him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that. awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and also, he, I, I saw somewhere where it said, uh, interesting, like, he's, he looks more monstrous in the face. Like, he's, his head's a little more distorted, uh, where Green Hulk kind of looks more human in the face, yet he's more of a savage, you know? I don't know. Yeah. That could be. Yeah, he's, it might just be who drew him, right? Yeah, that could be. And he kind of just seems more gaunt, maybe just because he's not as muscly. He's just more like a skeleton <laughs> with bigger muscles where he just kind of looks a little freakier. Huh. All right. Fair enough. Um, so that's the Hulk. I have still so many questions. But we brought up a couple names there. You mentioned Thunderbolt Ross. Now, I believe he was like the army general who was always after the Hulk, right? Yep. Betty and, Ross's father. Yes. And then he doesn't he eventually become the Red Hulk? Yep. Many years down the line, yeah. Yeah. And, Which is still yeah. one of the stupidest things that they've ever done is they were like, there's this whole mystery about who is the Red Hulk. And they're doing all this stuff and he looks basically just like the Hulk. He's red, but he's got, you know, this black hair and stuff like that. And he unhulks himself and he, you find out it's Thunderbolt Ross, but he still has the mustache. But when he's the Hulk, he doesn't have a mustache. But so then bad. later on, once they've revealed his identity, all of a sudden now he has the mustache when he's the Red Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, you can't have it both ways. The, the only history I have with the Red Hulk is uh, Marvel Avengers Alliance, Jank. Remember that game? Yeah. Uh, Red Hulk was on there. <laughs> That's all I know about him. Uh, and also, you mentioned Betty Ross, who is uh, the Hulk's, uh, David or Bruce Banner's lover. <laughs> They're his girlfriend. And they, they did get married at some point, right? Yeah, shortly before this issue. Um, it was within the last, like, uh, 15 issues. And she was married before Banner. Yeah. She was married at least once. Glenn <laughs> um, Talbot. This Ramon guy that we see in this one, yeah. he kind of alleges that they were married. <laughs> yeah, I got to talk, <laughs> talk about Ramon. You got to talk about Ramon. But first on Betty. So Betty's his girlfriend, is uh, uh, then his wife. and then But she also, Michael, uh, Betty Ross, she turns into uh, the harpy. Oh, boy. I don't remember that. <laughs> when, when was yeah. that? Jank, do you remember? That was probably seventies era. Yeah, um, that was earlier. It was a long time ago, and now she's actually back as that again, but like a red harpy. Yes, now she's <laughs> the red harpy. Yeah, because she was dead. She was killed in what, like the yeah, the, the end 90s? of Peter David's run. Yeah, right. She died yeah, of well, radiation poisoning. Well, okay. well, first she became the harpy, which was like this green uh, creature with wings and like the the harpy of lore, the old mythology harpy, that mm. kind of stuff. And then uh, she became the red She-Hulk. Uh. And then she became the red harpy. 
Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, I say. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's dude, too much yes it's too much and then when i was looking up all the hulk stuff there's like 30 different hulk variations oh no there's, yeah there's a dark hulk uh a green hulk who's also smart and he's like a, a doctor or something and then there's, there's just yeah so that was when they merged they merged like the three hulks like banner uh the green hulk and the gray hulk doc samson like you know did some kind of psychological mumbo jumbo it's like like hypnotherapy. They kind of merged all three of them into this Professor Hulk. <laughs> that, now, Jake, like regular banner. You just mentioned another name, Doc Samson, who's in this issue. Mike L., do you know the history of Doc Samson? You know, only from what I've read in the Peter David run, but I do know he was exposed to gamma radiation. And he is super strong, not nearly as strong as the Hulk, and he keeps his intelligence, and he doesn't change back and forth, and that's it. He has normal skin, but he has green hair. That's pretty much all I know. Oh, and he's a psychologist. Yeah, and his first appearance yep. was Hulk 141. Now, Jank, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Doc Sampson was trying to save Betty Ross, who had turned Chris, like a crystalline fit form. Is that, <laughs> is that correct? Uh, I never read his first appearance, but that sounds right. <laughs> I just feel so bad for this Betty Ross lady. She's been through hell. <laughs> she really has. Yeah, She's got a bad pick of men. So he was trying to save her and the process, like they were taking gamma radiation out of the Hulk and they needed it to uh, cure her and they, they ended up curing her. But then Doc Sampson said, hey, my machine still has this gamma radiation. Let me try something. And he turned into a superhero. He became big and strong. <laughs> it's all uh, good psychologists do. <laughs> yes, you always got to experiment on yourself. Uh, so that's Doc Sampson. He has like a ponytail and uh, he's a bigger guy. He's all strong now. Um, so yeah, and, and apparently there's a, a base gamma base. Is that like their headquarters of operations? Yeah, this is basically, they had this whole, the army had this whole branch, you know, dedicated to tracking down the Hulk, which is kind of where they developed this process that split the Hulk and then put him back together. And Banner is kind of trying to work with them because he wanted to get rid of the Hulk just as bad as anyone. <laughs> and so it was some of- weird... No, I'm sorry, but part of that team on Gamma Base with Doc Sampson, uh, the Hulkbusters, Jank. Mm-hmm. And they're in this issue as well. And I guess they were a team Sampson put together to try and capture the Hulk? Yep. Yep, and they would go on to be changed into supervillains by the leader <laughs> after wow. this. Holy hell. Uh, Mike Elwood. One guy paralyzed now because of his last run-in with the Hulk. He gets turned into this guy, like, surrounded in rock. <laughs> Who just kind of floats around? Oh really right, right. What are their names again? <laughs> I think Rock. Uh, the it yeah, I think Rock Stone? and Redeemer or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Not <laughs> uh, <laughs> very poetic, but anyway. Two two other uh, names we got to talk about here. Uh, well, three others actually. Rick Jones. We mentioned him before. He's uh, Hulk's little sidekick. Michael, tell people the history of Rick Jones. So Rick Jones is the most annoying character in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Um, oh, he started out, he started out as a supporting character in Hulk number one. He, when, when Bruce Banner was uh, testing his gamma bomb, uh, Rick Jones and his friends happened to be out playing in the desert, you know, 20 feet away from where they were doing well, it. And it was that I an believe, exaggeration. I believe Mike L that Rick Jones and his uh, teenage uh, roughneck pals, they had a bet that, right. uh, Jones said he would drive out where they're going to test this autom- atomic bomb because he's not scared. And then his friends didn't show up. 
and he was out there by himself, right, Jank? Isn't that how it went down? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just out there playing the harmonica. Yeah, playing the harmonica, <laughs> that's right, in his Jeep, I think. And then Bruce Banner caught it, like, saw him on the, whatever, the, the display or whatever. So he wanted them to stop the countdown for the bomb, and he ran out to save him. But then, I think it was, uh, was it a Russian scientist, or was it a bad guy, or somebody... Didn't yeah, one of the guys nothing. in the group, uh, one of the scientists was actually a Russian spy or something, so he <laughs> made yeah. sure that the bomb went off anyway. Didn't he, didn't he end up being a villain named, like, like not the Goblin, but something like that, like uh, some kind of supervillain name, but uh, I don't remember. But anyway, so then, yeah, so then Rick Jones also got exposed to the gamma radiation, and uh, I don't think he turned into anything at first, but yeah. obviously it affected him years later. But then he had this weird history in Marvel where... Then after that, he joined, it was, I think it was the Teen Brigade in the Avengers, right? Mm-hmm. So he hung out with the yeah. Avengers for a couple of years. Then he, he was became, the one who assembled the Avengers uh, to begin with. Oh, he was the one who sent out the call. Right, good point. Okay, true. Yeah, because, he, because they need, he wanted them to get the Hulk, right? Or he would to warn them about the Hulk. Isn't right. that what happened? Yeah, yeah, because okay. Loki had done something to the Hulk or made them think the Hulk was bad, something like that. Okay. Or he was mind controlling them. And then it's so you got to wonder why they didn't just create new characters. But then then he ended up becoming the sidekick of Captain Marvel, the Marvel uh, b- before that, Michael. He was so, yeah, before that, he was like, a, yeah, Captain, Captain America. America. Yeah, oh, he's like, before? OK, OK. Yeah. So he, he, he was he like the second Bucky or was that later? Second Bucky. OK. Although they didn't really call it, Jank, did they call him Bucky or he just wore Bucky's outfit and everything, but I don't think they called him Bucky there, right? So. Yeah, they probably didn't call him Bucky, but he definitely had the same outfit. Yeah, he okay. was Bucky. Yeah, He's like the Jason Todd of Robbins. Okay. I guess you can see. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> All right, so then, yeah, but then Captain Marvel, Michael, um, explain who this is, a Cree, Cree guy, right? Oh boy, so yeah, I actually just read the entire series this year as well because I'm not oh, wow. better than so anyway, he uh, <laughs> so he, it was a cool idea. Um, so yeah, he was a spy sent by the Cree, who sent a spy on the human race, and then basically he just in, instead he ended up becoming kind of a good guy. And I don't really, it's really vaguely defined, but he had mega bands, I think, didn't he? <laughs> yep. Yes. And then it was weird because basically every three or four issues they would just completely reboot him. And like then after a while, you know, after a few issues, like, actually, no, he's going to he's going to uh, exchange places with Rick Jones. And so Rick Jones would do something and then he would disappear and Captain Marvel would appear and then, you know, vice versa. And then he'd come back and then that went on for a little while. And then he got kind of rebooted again. And I don't know, he was never really successful. And then eventually in the early 80s, Marvel just decided to kill him off. So they gave him cancer, <laughs> killed him. Yeah. And just to, and just to clarify, this is this is Captain Marvel, not Captain Marvel. That's a that's a distinction there. Well, they, well he yeah. was Captain Marvel. Yeah, the book was Captain Marvel, and his name was Marvel, which is just like a coincidence, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I guess that's all uh, we need to really know about Rick Jones. Uh, two other names. Uh, well, the villain in this issue is a fellow named Half Life, and this is his first appearance. Yep, sure is. And maybe we'll get into him a little later. And then there's also a guy named Ramon. <laughs> this is like Razor Ramon's uh, less charismatic, annoying yeah. brother. <laughs> Ramon. Sounds like, about right. He's like the cliche of 
every uh, Latin lover cliche you can think of. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Remote. He's bedding down with uh, Betty in this issue. But they didn't do anything. Well, they just talked. Yeah. Yeah, they just talked. <laughs> that was anyway. the cliffhanger at the end of the issue before. It was like, you know, they kind of met up and you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen here? But then in this issue, we find out, oh, they just talked. <laughs> but apparently Betty and Ramon used to date in a period of time where the Hulk was missing. He was off the planet somewhere and she didn't she thought he was dead. She didn't know where he was. So she dated Ramon during that period. So, yeah, a lot of ups and downs in the relationship of uh, <laughs> Bruce and Betty. <laughs> now, Mike, L., uh, after reading this issue, will you go back and acquire all the issues with Ramon? Just so you can have the whole art. It's already on my list. <laughs> <All right>. Already. <laughs> so to make sure. The first right, appearance Mike. of Ramon has got to be worth hundred. <laughs> yeah, it has to be worth. It. Unless you made pogs of it, and then it's worthless. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the issue: grave circumstances. Michael, why don't you start off? Tell us what's going on here in this issue. Sure. So basically, this helicopter is uh, flying above. Um, what are these calls? These called like these butts. Like yeah, buttes or buttes? Is that what it is? Buttes? I don't even know. These giant or butts. I think it's buttes. I guess it's butte. Yeah. These rock formations out in like the desert, and he's on top of one. He's inexplicably inexplic- on top of one. So he gets rescued by this helicopter. And, well, Mike, um, yo, you skipped a page, Mike. Yo. I skipped a page. Sure. There's a first page before this, though. Well, yeah, I know. The, the heli- oh, wait, is there? Oh, geez. Yeah. I started on the splash page. I apologize. Yeah. So first, we're, we, uh, we're in a graveyard, and we see something dig its way out of it, out, out of one of the graves. And then basically, there's another guy standing there, and he's like, you're late. And then the guy says, yes, well, I've had a lot of practice. And that, so guy, that, will, that guy will be revealed as Half-Life later on in the issue. Right. So that's like the prologue, right? Yes. Prelogue. Prelogue. Prologue. Prelude. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> The prequel, the Cold Star Wars open. prequels. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. But it is a prologue from literary references. Yes, <laughs> it's a prologue. <laughs> um, just so to yeah, show that you actually did get a literary degree. <laughs> yes, just to show that I do have the degree. Uh, but yeah, so the big splash page is uh, the buttes or the butts or the rock statues, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah, I like this though because it, it kind of shows that the Gray Hulk is constantly at odds with Banner. I like the Green Hulk is just kind of dumb and you know randomly changes whenever, but like the Gray Hulk's constantly plotting against Banner. Mm-hmm. Like in the issue before this, he got really really drunk, so that as soon as he changed to Banner, like Banner would be super drunk and wouldn't be able to do anything all day. <laughs> yes. um, and in this one, he up to this high butte <laughs> so that he could basically <laughs> strand Banner there all day because he just doesn't want him messing up things and trying to get rid of him yeah i do like that that is good because yeah. like we mentioned the gray hulk he only turns into the hulk at night so when it, the sun comes up he's banner again so the hulk always has to think of ways to uh prevent banner from messing with him so he he leaves him up here on this uh, big rock and mike else some helicopter uh fellas come around and they, and they rescue banner take it away mike sure. all right so <laughs> then uh so, so basically so then uh Bruce Banner calls up Doc Sampson, and uh, what does he do here? Does he try to? Uh, I have to re. I have to actually well, reread this page to remember. Well, what he well he, he's for. trying to convince Sampson that he that the leader knocked him out and left him on top of this rock because he doesn't want Sampson to know that he's still turning into the Hulk. Right, that, right. No one knows. He's, so. he's telling a tall tale here. 
And then, uh, and so, and so Setting basically. a bad example for all the children yeah. reading. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so it's a weird status quo at this time, as we said. Um, it's kind of cool because it is a self-contained story, but I love how there's all these little subplots going on. So in the next page, we drop in with Betty and Ramon, which we already talked about how, you know, we were all aghast because we thought maybe they slept together, but thankfully they just stayed up all night and yeah. talked. Right. Yep. Ramon is fully clothed. <laughs> Betty is fully clothed. Yep. And uh, Good there's, stuff. A, there's a whole lot of exposition on this page in Thought Bubbles. Yes. Yep. Holy fuck. Yeah. Dialogue heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then uh, and then we uh, we skip ahead to uh, Doc Sampson over at Gamma Base. And uh, they've got, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rick Jones and this giant contraption. I guess they're still doing tests on him to make sure that he's not the yeah. Hulk, right? The Green Hulk. Yeah. So he's, he's supposed I to have a clean... Doug Henning reference in this scene. Yes. What's that? Yes, yeah, Rick Jones makes a Doug Henning reference, letting you I know that I'm it is 1987. Come at me with a saw. <laughs> yeah, like he's going to be cut in half by Doug Henning. Oh, now, gotcha. Now, now, Mike, oh, you remember Doug Henning, right? No, I don't. Oh, he's a famous magician. So you had no oh. idea that reference. You, just, you had no idea what that meant? No, no clue. Well, wow. see, that that's the trouble with you Canadians. You're not up on your... Uh, American magicians. Magicians. That, that's our, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's at the top of the list. <laughs> um, that's like so anyway. Learn here in school. Yep. You know what I love about this contraption is how Rick Jones's entire body is, you know, inside of it, except for his head. It's just kind of dangling at the top of it. Yeah, like an iron lung. Yeah. And Rick Jones is jacked. I thought he was supposed to be a little guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is huge. I think that's, that's the only way McFarlane knows how to draw guys. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And if you're a professional like sidekick to superheroes, you got to be in decent shape. I guess, yeah, that's true. You probably bulked <laughs> up over the years, got on the HGH and the steroids, and yeah. All right, I see. All right, Michael. So then we see David Banner, or I'm sorry, Bruce Banner, because again on the TV show he was David Banner. Yes, he's Bruce Banner. which they they did try to account for that in the comic eventually by saying that his first name is David, but his middle name is Bruce, and he goes by Bruce. <laughs> Who I gives their child Bruce as a middle name? David Bruce Banner. <laughs> I think they, you know what? I think that, that it was actually slightly different than that. I think it, it was Robert Bruce Banner. Because uh-huh. I think in the first well, first appearance, he was Bruce Banner. Then it was Robert Banner. Then on the TV show, it was David Banner. But I think they tried to fit them all in there somehow. Well, the only reason they introduced <laughs> Robert to it was because Stanley fucked up one time and called him Bob. In an right. Issue. <laughs> and he also did the same thing with Spider-Man. He he didn't call him Peter Parker one time. What did he call him instead of Peter, Mike? Oh, do you remember? Like issue three? Oh yeah, what was it? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. But he he screwed up there and didn't call him Peter Parker. But then they just forgot <laughs> yeah, about it. That's hilarious. So yeah, well, I don't know. Why ever... he, uh, that's why he made so many alliterative names. I heard yes, yeah, so... because he couldn't remember them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he was hoping remember. that would help. Because yeah. again, he was writing like all these books at one time. So yeah, don't blame him. It's crazy. So anyway, uh, Bruce Banner. Shows up at the Gamma base, uh, Mike L. Right. Uh, and then we have, uh, what's that? Well, then, yeah, then we get to the city morgue where they're wheeling in Half-Life. Right. I, I don't know what, why is this here? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't remember some, either. It, you yeah, gotta you know, transition somehow, I guess. But, uh, I don't know, this is aggravating reading, because there's no point for him even going to the morgue or... We get this other doctor with all his internal thoughts and his concerns, and <laughs> I don't know. There's no point to him going to the morgue, is what I'm trying to say, Half-Life. But anyway, 
I don't remember offhand, but I'm guessing that the events he's talking about happened in, in like the earlier issue or something along. Yeah, that somewhere. would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's the funny thing is I recently read them and I don't remember if he's referring to specific <laughs> things that happened. I have no idea. But you know what uh-huh. still wouldn't make sense? Half-Life having to go to the morgue. Because then the next time <laughs> we see him, he's just driving around the desert in a dune buggy. All right. Maybe he stole that dune buggy from the morgue. <laughs> the morgue. There you go. <laughs> right. That's their version of a hearse in their beach town. <laughs> so, so then, Mike, out, we see a uh, a dinner scene with the Hulkbusters. This is the Hulkbusters, yes. So we're checking in with the Hulkbusters. We're getting some banter between them. Characters who are quickly, very soon after this, written out of the book who we'll never see again. Well, I guess they're brought back as villains, right? Or is this well, it? Two of them are. Some of them are, yeah. Okay. So like the older people, I don't think they ever come back in any kind of fashion. Yeah. Well, I did like the scene where their Hulkbusters are talking about like how bad they suck at going after the Hulk. And they're like, we never busted anything. Like, we got to figure out something new to bust now, though. And they're like, I know three colleagues that are going after poltergeists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see a lot of future in that. I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> they retrain, you know, the miners to work in solar energy. It's kind of the same yeah. thing, right? But it's a, <laughs> a, a Ghostbusters, a sly Ghostbusters reference. Yeah. yeah. David. <laughs> and then, Michael, probably the most bizarre scene in the whole book. Uh, we get, <laughs> they, well, one of the Hulkbusters says, hey, because he, uh, Bruce Banner shows up and he's asking where Betty is, you know, his wife. And they're like, oh, well, I hate to do it, but I passed along a message that uh, Ramon wants to see her and I haven't seen her since. <laughs> So Ramon's probably giving it to her good right now at some hotel. And uh, so <laughs> Banner and uh, Rick Jones. Is that his name? Rick Jones? Rick Jones, yeah. Uh, Still got his harmonica. Oh, I was thinking of Rick James. I was like, wow. <laughs> two totally different guys. Although Hulk would be much better <laughs> if Rick book. James was Hulk's sidekick instead of Rick Jones. <laughs> so they show up at this hotel and uh, they're trying to get the room where Ramon is. And uh, they barge in on him. And he sees Ramon and Betty on the bed. Well, Ramon answers the door and he's like, hey, get out of here. She doesn't want to talk to you. Mike L., what the hell's going on here? <laughs> you hear the just, argument? Yeah, because Banner just shows up and he's like not even worried at all that she's at a, mot- at a hotel room with some strange man. <laughs> Seems perfect. It is kind of weird. I think they have a, they've had a strange relationship and they've been estranged yeah. for a while. I don't really know. Yeah, maybe they're supposed to show how old Luffy is. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think that's just part of Banner's character where he's so used to turning into the Hulk anytime he gets mad that he's got to try to keep his emotions in check. Oh, that's a fair Which point. is also, I think, kind of one point. of the things that led to the Hulk in the first place is when he was a kid, like his dad was an abusive, you know, douchebag. So he kind of suppressed all of his emotions just to not turn into his dad and then he ended up turning into the Hulk. So <laughs> I think that's all just right. a part of his character. Yeah, that's a very good point, Jank. That, that would make sense why he's so uh, accepting because he doesn't want to hulk up. All right, that makes sense, but it still comes off very awkward. And uh, <laughs> um, all right, so then uh, they have a big fight, Michael. Ramon yes. Wants, Ramon wants to fight uh, Banner, but what happens? Who steps in? Rick Jones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He uses See, his martial like arts training. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's and, a very uh, awkwardly drawn uh, fisticuffs, <laughs> which we can talk about later, but yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about this art later, yeah. Yeah. That jump um, kick's pretty great. <laughs> it's it's worthy of Captain Kirk, I would say. 
Yeah, is that really a, is that really a kick or is he like dancing? I yeah, don't know I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. But it's got some Jumping force backwards. behind it. Look how far the look how far Ramon goes, right? Yeah. Not to your Because anyway. Rick Jones is all hopped up on that HGH and uh, steroids. <laughs> He's huge. Um, so then, the great thing is uh, after they make amends and they they uh, they need to get back to Gamma Base because it's you know he, Rick Jones is like, hey, it's going to be dark soon. You better get back to the base. And Banner's like, not before I take my wife upstairs and <laughs> do her good. And he carries her up the stairs. <laughs> or at least he tries to, but it's not going very well. Yeah. And she wants to walk. <laughs> oh, man. See, now we're back at the morgue. Here we go. Yeah, yeah for what? For, uh, two panels, three panels. And we so just that... see Half-Life guy choke the doctor. But Why? <laughs> he probably needed more tissue, I guess, because he absorbed <laughs> stuff. So he probably needed, you know, but something why more didn't physical. He just, why didn't he just absorb the guy who's, who found him and wheeled him in? You know what I mean? <laughs> Do we find out who wheeled him in? It was just a, a intern or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just a guy wheeled him into the office. But someone picked him up on the side of the road. Why didn't he just get those guys? Why didn't he get the intern? Why? It, this just is like a convoluted way to just add more drama that, you know. <laughs> There's no point to it. True, so, true. Anyway, yeah, grandma. Uh, so, so then we see uh, Rick James or Jones uh, at the bar, <laughs> okay. and he's the super freak, and he's looking at the clock, and he's like, "Uh-oh, it's getting dark already. What's going on? It's like an hour too early." <laughs> and the bartender's like, "Hey, don't you watch TV? We had to turn the clocks back." <laughs> hey, <laughs> every superhero's imagine. worst enemy: daylight savings time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because again, Banner's going to turn into the Hulk when the sun goes down. So uh, Jones goes running to save him, and and then we get back to the hotel room, Michael, and we see Betty fully clothed on the bed. <laughs> Banner's fully clothed, getting up out of, he's standing next to the bed, and she's like, "Come back and cuddle a little bit longer." So they got this hotel room for themselves. They went upstairs and they just snuggled. <laughs> That's nice. Kind of fishy, eh? Well, maybe yeah. they got they. Put their clothes back on after di- having sex. You know, it could happen. <laughs> Maybe it didn't yes. last very long. <laughs> yes, it sure didn't. That, that's the good thing about daylight savings time. I guess it really makes it seem like even shorter. Than, you know, <laughs> but that's too bad. Uh, so they're uh, hugging each other and getting all lovey-dovey still, being all sweet. But what happens, Jank? Uh, it's nighttime, so he starts hulking out. And That's right. turns into the Hulk, goes out the window, and we don't really find out in this issue if Betty's all right. <laughs> we just see yeah. Rick Jones and be very concerned. Yeah, J- Jones is yelling, somebody, get a doctor. And then we see Gray Hulk jumping away, and he's jumping through the sky. And Mike, yeah, what hap- who does uh, Gray Hulk encounter then? He encounters a dune bug riding half-life. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So he lands and gives one. He does one of his patented uh, claps, which yeah. creates vibrations and knocks the dune buggy over. And then yes, then now we're finally we finally see uh, what's his name, uh, Half Life in all of his glory, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Des- describe <laughs> what he looks. Like. Describe what he looks like, Michael. Like kind of like a zombie, I guess, yeah, but a, not a zombie. Yeah, like there's no there's no skull, but it's he's really skinny and kind of gaunt, and yeah, he's got this stuff hanging off of him, and he's kind of green, right? So that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, when you say there's no skull, there's a head there, but it's it's like a uh, like a human face, not right, right. Skull. Yeah, he doesn't look like a like people think of a zombie. They think of like a half of a skull hanging out or a jaw, but no, he's uh, he's relatively normal. <laughs> well, Hulk does knock his jaw <laughs> off, but then uh, oh, but that's right, he puts, he puts it, puts it back, back on. on. <laughs> and also, uh, he's making lots of literary, or at least two literary references that I noticed right out of the gate. And so I'm like, what the hell's going on here? But it turns out later he, he was an English professor. Right. Yeah. 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 And then he makes a Romeo and Juliet reference later. Oh, right. And Jank, what is half... For those. Anyway. Yeah. And Jank, what is Half-Life's abilities? Like, what can he do to the Hulk? Uh, he's able to absorb energy especially gamma energy so he is basically siphoning off the hulk's strength and adding it to him to his own making the hulk weaker and making himself stronger so the, the usually the matter the hulk gets the stronger the hulk gets but now it's just making half-life stronger Ooh, look at that it's pretty great i like that yeah. yeah so his his way of attacking the hulk is well he does punch him once but then he just jumps and hugs him, and hugs him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a little monkey He's making sweet sweet love to his belly button right there <laughs> <laughs> so then the hulk finally gets him off and he just throws him off him and uh but he he snaps him right off of his arms and legs so it, the arms and legs are still clinging to the hulk but the body and the head of half-life go flying through the desert and uh then he takes he picks up the arms and he rips them and throws them away and then he leaves half-life alone and hulk escapes but what else do we learn here michael about half-life is that his origin is tied into the Hulk because he basically became Half-Life because of the, um, you know, this is where, so he says it's because of a recent bomb, but I think I'm mixed up on continuity. So he doesn't mean, so he says here, wait, where is it? He says, uh, uh, New Mexico. No, that was in Colorado last year. So last year. So I'm not sure what he's referring to. Do you know, Jank? Yeah. That's a good point. I'm assuming that was something that the leader was testing out before he actually ends up dropping a whole gamma bomb about a year later. <laughs> yeah, that, see, at first that's that was a test. It was like, yeah. no, that was after this. So, yep, yeah, this was definitely before that whole Middleton thing. So, okay. I'm assuming this was more of just a test. Like he was. Right, so it's kind of like practicing. foreshadowing that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But Banner Stuff dropping hints of what's to come. But Banner still feels guilty because it's gamma radiation and all his work, right, led to this. Right. So, right. Yeah, he definitely created the gamma bomb initially. So whoever created another one is going off of his work. Okay. Yeah. So I like that. That there's because uh, otherwise this whole Half Life thing's bizarre. But yeah, that worked out. Like, all right, <laughs> yeah. there's the motivation for having him here. All right. Um, yeah, and hooks there. Keep it involved. Then at the end, the the issue just ends with uh, uh, Banner. He's now Banner again because the sun came up and he's he's uh, hiding out in a cave. And you're just thinking, I feel bad for that Half-Life guy. Sure hope he's okay or whatever. Or <laughs> he finds some peace. <laughs> Even though he's a, yeah. he's a grotesque zombie who I just ripped mm -hmm. his limbs off of. <laughs> and then in the final panel, you have uh, some vultures circling over Half-Life. Yes. Um, and that's how the book ends. And now, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, the leader comes along and saves Half-Life, right? Yep. And gives him a fancy new suit so he doesn't have to be naked from now on. <laughs> oh, that's a bad God. <laughs> Don't want to see that <laughs> zombie dick flopping around. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, so that's uh, let's get to the creators here. The writer we mentioned, Peter David, uh, born in 1956 in Fort Meade, Maryland. He worked in the book publishing business, and he was always trying to be a writer, but he didn't have much success. I think he sold one sci-fi story, but he, he could never seem to get his uh, 
his foot in the door. Uh, so he got a job. He spent five years in the Marvel sales department. Mm. And, and while he was there, he uh, editor Jim Owsley, who was in charge of the Spider-Man, uh, who's in charge of the Spectacular Spider-Man at that time, which I believe was called Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Mm. <laughs> uh, he he liked David. Uh, he always treated them nicely. They worked together, and he knew da- uh, David wanted to be a writer. So he said, "Hey, let me see some of your stuff." And he bought uh, an issue of uh, Spider-Man there from David. And then David became the semi-regular scripter for Spectacular Spider-Man. He did 21 issues total. Uh, and I just lost my notes here briefly, so I'm going to just <laughs> wander around aimlessly until I find them again. Uh, he, he did 21 issues from 105 to 136, including the four-issue arc, The Death of Gene DeWolf. In issues yeah. one of the- it DeWolf. Isn't it DeWolf? DeWolf. <laughs> That's just how Mike Dell says it. DeWolf. The weird Pennsylvania talk. Yeah. D E W O L F, the wolf. The wolf, like you mean, like the animal, like the wolf, right? Yes. So, how do you say? It? Wait, how do you say it? The wolf. <laughs> wait, 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 Jake. How do you say it? The wolf. Yeah, like am I crazy? It's the wolf. I thought the wolf. Like wolf is the sound a dog makes. Wolf, wolf, right? So it sounds like you're saying the wolf. Dog says wolf, wolf. Yeah. <laughs> This is Wolf. wolf. James the Wolf. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, we should just move on. All right. It's a robot <laughs> robot situation. Just let it go. Yeah. Right. Cultural differences. All right. So, so uh, Jake, this is apparently an acclaimed run. This four issue thing. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. I, I believe it's like a murder mystery, right? Like Classic. Spider-Man's trying to figure out who murdered this uh, police lieutenant or something, right? Yeah, she was one of like the few cops who kind of liked Spider-Man and they had a good relationship. All right, so there you go. So that put David on the map. and uh, But he was fired from that title uh, due to conflicts uh, backstage, uh, conflicts of interests oh. behind the scenes because people were mad that he was involved in creative and in sales. Like other creators, they're like, well, he's just going to promote his own books, like through the sales department, you know. Uh, so Jim Shooter put, uh, he kind of put some pressure on Owsley to fire uh, David, and that's what happened. So then it, but not long after that, Bob Harris offered, uh, even though David was still working in the sales department, Bob Harris offered him uh, the Hulk job because Hulk was not popular at the time and no one else wanted to do it. <laughs> Which, <laughs> sounds, sounds right. But that sounds crazy. Why would someone turn down writing The Incredible Hulk? And but yeah, so David's like, all right, I'll do it. And he started yeah, with. I mean, he was a well-known character, especially with the yeah the show from the seventies and stuff like that. It's not like he's you know Moon Knight. It's not like he's Quasar. <laughs> the Hulk. <laughs> so D- David started with issue three twenty-eight, like we mentioned earlier. Then he did three thirty-one to three fifty-nine, and then three fifty-one to four sixty-seven. All told, a 12-year run with the Hulk. Oh, it was incredible. God. By yeah. far the best Hulk run of anyone ever. I agree, I agree. <laughs> length, but quality. It's all just excellent. Uh, He's also keep... my favorite Spider-Man writer. i got to add that in there. Now, yeah. now keep in mind, th- right, this yeah. issue we're reading, it's very early in his career. Yes. It's like the so. third comic he's ever written. <laughs> <laughs> well, more he did more than that. because Okay, okay, yeah. He was already on Spidey. The third Hulk. Yeah, Spider-Man was first. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned earlier, he also did uh, X-Factor. He did X-Factor Volume 3, issues 1 through 50. 
and then 200 through 262. So that's quite the run yeah. on X Factor as well. He, um, he had basically left X Factor in like 1992, and then they eventually canceled that book. But then in 2005, he came back and brought it back and did a whole other big run on it. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Some of my favorite comics uh, ever is those X Factor runs that he did. And he made Jamie Madrox the multiple man, like one of the most interesting characters. <laughs> Who would have thought that was possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't wasn't Quicksilver on his teams too? He was at first, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I know I read something with when Quicksilver was part of the team. I like that, but anyway, um, he you know, from two thousand seven, two thousand nine. He also did She Hulk, uh, volume two, twenty two to thirty eight. So he has a lot of Hulk history. Now, Mike L. over at DC in 1990, he wrote Aquaman, the Atlantis Chronicles. That's right. A seven-issue limited series. Now, I, you know, he also wrote issues one through 48 of Aquaman, volume five, from 1994 to 1998. Now, Mike L., correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Peter David the guy that like rejuvenated Aquaman and he redid his story kind of and made him cool? Yeah, he's uh, Peter David's the one that gave him the uh, harpoon hand. He gave him yeah. the long hair. He gave him the beard. The new costume, all that stuff. Now, as and, an Aquaman, a huge Aquaman fanboy, how do you feel about all that? Honestly, I did not like it. Wow. No, I prefer the orange, you know, chainmail, blonde hair, short, just a classic <laughs> Aquaman, you know? And it's funny because I love Peter David, but it wasn't until like this year that I finally sat down and I tried to read his Aquaman run. And funny enough, I did not really like it. So I only got like halfway through before giving up. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. But everything else he's done, I liked. like, I liked X factor. I liked all that stuff. All the stuff you mentioned, I'm a big fan of, but yeah, I just didn't like Aquaman. The other was it just like the changes that he made or was this, the stories themselves just weren't that the good? Actu- yeah. It was the actual writing. Um, have you read it before? No, no, I've never okay. read any Aquaman. Oh, man. Yeah, no, because like I, I like like I said, like I've read stuff after too. Like I read his Supergirl run that was good, his Captain Marvel run from the two thousand. Yes. That was so that. good. It was excellent. Yes. <laughs> but it might have just been that Aquaman, maybe he was trying too hard to be like shocking and different, and, and maybe it just didn't fit with him. But like people did like yeah. it, but maybe it just wasn't for me. I don't know. His his other prominent that. his other prominent DC work, uh, Mike L. Young Justice. From Which I've never read. Uh, okay, from 1998 to 2003, he wrote all but the first two. Uh, he wrote all but two of the first 55 issues. Now, is that like a Young Justice League? Is that what that is? Or? Yeah, I think it's like yeah, it's like Teen Titans esque. But I think it's with uh, what is it? <laughs> Superboy and Impulse. Like, if you're listening out there, yeah. folks, yeah, I've ne- like we, I probably sound like an idiot, but yeah, because they turned into a really popular cartoon. But I just don't know anything about Young Justice, so. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They got the Justice League, then they got Teen Titans, and they got Young Justice, like a bunch of toddlers going yeah. around. <laughs> but, you know. Justice babies, eventually. Let <laughs> me just like the Muppet babies. Uh, again, this is very early in his career. So I, and this is, you know, I don't want to judge Peter. Obviously, he's a great writer if he's been around this, and you, I take Jenks word for it that this stuff's really good. But this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. It's, uh... it's not work but it's not bad i don't <laughs> think it's bad it's bad like the dialogue is atrocious <laughs> all the internal uh thought balloons the exposition the stuff with ramon and betty it's garbage it's it's so hacky <laughs> let me um, point out something here uh, before yeah. you continue mike dell have you tried reading the writer pr- immediately before this al milgram no 
Because it is. Have you read those, Jink? Yes. Like, yeah. Garbage. <laughs> like, if you think this is bad, go back and just read one issue by Al Milgram, and you'll realize how much better this is. Here, here's what's yeah. good. Here, here's what he did that's really good, is the plotting and the subplots and all that. That's all really good stuff. All the big picture stuff involved in this issue is, is very good. That's good. But, like, the... Uh, Ex, all the exposition and the dialogue uh, and the thought—it's—it's it's brutal. J just for one instance, here's one example. Of, uh, and again, this is 1987 comic books. I understand it's not supposed to be Dostoevsky. I, I get it. But uh, <laughs> there's a, a panel uh, where when he's calling Doc Sampson, okay, he's in that office and he's looking at the calendar of the yeah. girl, and, he, and he's mm -hmm. getting all horny for that calendar girl. And he's like, "Why do I like this girl? Oh, she reminds me of my wife, Betty." <laughs> you understand how uh -huh. bad that is? You know how bad that is? That, but I like how man... it then fades out from the picture of her to the picture no, of Betty. And that's great. That's great. The transition, that's fine. But the actual words, that reminds me of my wife, Betty. Do you understand why <laughs> it's bad? Like a man would not be thinking, oh, I'm a married, I've been married. All right. I can speak from experience. Not once in my life. Have I ever thought, oh, that girl looks like my wife, Sherry? No. <laughs> you would just say, oh, that looks like my, that looks like Sherry. It reminds me of Sherry. It reminds me of all my right, wife, fair. Sherry. But that's the kind of little stuff that is all through this issue that's really bad. It's really bad. Now, I'm guessing, like, he got better, because, uh, but this is something you see young writers do all the time. So I'm guessing yeah. he'll get better. But, uh. And what, I mean, one of Stanley's tenants was that every comic book is someone's first comic book. Yeah, so I think they wanted you to set that yes. stuff up for new so people. So maybe, maybe that is just the way they were instructed to write, uh, and it's not just Peter David making mistakes that it, they were told to do this. But it's just bad. <laughs> it's just it's not how you want to write. Um, but the big picture stuff about you know the Hulk leaving him up on the on the butts <laughs> or the butts, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> that's all great. So I can see how this would be really dynamic stuff for someone if they're used to subpar storytelling. Cause this, he's really planting a lot of seeds here for everything. Um, but again, the half-life that's, that's a hallmark of his stuff is he always is playing the long game. <laughs> he'll set mm -hmm. up stuff that you don't think is ever going to pay off. And then like 50 issues later, he'll pay it off. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. kind of like David Lynch. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because Mike, oh, I forgot to mention in his introduction, Jank's been appearing on our show every week to discuss Twin Peaks with us. Really? Yeah. Oh, I wish I would have known. So we're, we're, into season, we're into season three. Uh, oh, like, boy. Uh, okay. Ten, I believe. Halfway through. Yeah, halfway yeah. through. Nice, nice. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I don't want to be all judgmental on Peter David here, but I did not enjoy this writing at all. <laughs> I thought, I, I will say this, I like the writing a little bit better than the art. <laughs> well, let's before you even get to the art, I just got to say that my first Peter David uh, Hulk comic that I bought off the stands was I think 337, okay? And that and that's with X Factor. And that was going to be the one that I was going to pick coming up, and now I'll hold it off a little bit. But the writing in that comic, and I'm not just talking about the plotting, I'm talking about the dialogue. The dialogue was so good. Yeah. That's what made me become a Peter David fan. Oh, sorry, it was 336. That's what made me become a Peter David fan. So, I can only say that compared to the comics I was reading at that time in 1987, the dialogue itself is what stood out to me. Um, yeah, I agree. It was a definitely that's more of an indictment against uh, the other comics than it is praise for this. I would say. <laughs> well, yeah, you could say that, but now here's the ironic thing: is the last couple of weeks ago we talked about Jim Shooter. Did you know that Jim Shooter 
he did not think Peter David was a good writer, and he didn't think he deserved to be writing Spider-Man. I can understand wow. it. <laughs> this was an example of what he was doing at the okay. time. Yeah, this I completely understand. Go and read Spider-Man in the late 80s, okay? And I want you to compare Peter David to Tom DeFalco, to Roger Stern, <laughs> to David Michelinie, all the guys that were writing Spider-Man at the time. I really think Peter David's writing was better than all of them, but that's just me. I agree. Yeah. Seconded. But, uh, like, I'm just uh, looking through <laughs> some more stuff here. <laughs> oh, speaking of, I'm uh, I'm looking through the actual comic. I have the issue in front of me, and there's yeah. a profile on Jim Shooter in this yes. book. I know. I did. <laughs> I did read that. Yeah, I remember yeah, that profile when I was a kid because that was in all those issues. They would do these. Um, what was the bullpen bulletins? And they had a profile. Right, Jim Shooter. Yeah. And I remember that profile when I was a kid. But yeah, I read it again. <laughs> yeah. It's just a drawing of him that doesn't show his face at all. It's just <laughs> neck down. <laughs> I here. Here's my favorite part of it. Did you read it, Jank? Did you read the profile? Yep. I know my um, favorite. My hobbies, my hobbies oh. are, I like to run, lift weights, and ride motorcycles. According to Playgirl <laughs> magazine, I'm one of the 50 most eligible bachelors in America, and I'm continually trying to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that gives you all the insight into Jim Shooter you need, right? <laughs> oh, what a guy. Yeah, but I still love Shooter. <laughs> still, still great. <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, Mike, you'll pick a. We'll have to read Peter David again later in his career. Sure, but, but of course that'll be out of the Bronze Age then. So you have to start another podcast. And we'll yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nineties podcast. I'll be all over that. Yeah, I, I did not like any of this. <laughs> all right. Oh. Uh, now let's let's get to the art. Sure. This will be, be something. Uh, the artist is Todd <laughs> McFarlane. You may have heard of him. I've heard of him. Yep. He was born in 1961 in Calgary, Alberta. Now, this angered me because I never realized he was born in Calgary. Now, I know you guys aren't hockey fans, <clears throat> but uh, he would go on to be a minority owner of the Edmonton Oilers. And he would design <laughs> a third jersey for the Edmonton Oilers, which people will universally pan and they call it robot sperm. If you've ever really? heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> It was a terrible logo, terrible design. Okay. It's like an oil drop with a yeah. with a gear, uh, machine gear on it, but it looked like robot sperm. All right, so, uh, but when you're cow- the Battle of Alberta, the Flames and Oilers, that is like a huge rivalry. He's born in Calgary, yet he's an Oilers fan. That tells me he was a bandwagon jumping on the the Oilers Stanley Cups of the '80s and shunning his hometown boys, the Calgary Flames. So, you know, fuck you, Todd McFarland. Is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, couldn't it, couldn't he just been a, a Gretzky fan? Couldn't that been it? That makes it even worse. Oh, I think it makes it better. Gretzky's garbage, <laughs> and he's a Calgary Gretzky. fan. He should hate Gretzky. He should hate Gretzky. That's terrible. I'm looking at this logo. You're talking no. about the one that's like a. It looks like a like what is that called? Like a a nut with like a piece of oil in the middle, <laughs> like a drip yeah, of oil like in the middle. Gear. Yeah, gear. Yeah. That gear. Yikes. Yeah, it's not yeah. great. Yeah, it's, it's not very good. Yeah, people hate that logo. All right. That's kind uh, of like a robot sperm. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, while still in college, we got another hockey story to talk about later with him. But uh, while still in college, McFarland sent 30 to 40 submission packages to comic book editors each month, mostly pinups, and he got roughly 700 rejections. And th- this is great advice, though, for you kids out there who want to be writers or artists or whatever. But I had a writing teacher named uh, Tim Asaeus, and he uh, was published all over the place. 
But he said, don't worry about getting acceptances. What you want to do is collect as many rejections as possible. That's all he cared about. Every month, he totaled up his rejections, and he wanted to get as many as he could. And because eventually, someone will take you, you know. Mm -hmm. But so he doesn't worry about that. He worried about the rejections. Get as many rejections as you can. <laughs> and you know how I know it's great advice? Because I don't follow it. <laughs> for you kids out there, for you kids out there, do what McFarlane was doing because that is brilliant. Just keep sending yeah. stuff out. Keep sending stuff out. So don't worry. Don't get discouraged. With Everyone gets rejected. Don't worry about it. Rejections, collect them. Paper your room with them. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, so uh, what, what good the, for him. Yeah, it did, because DC editor Sal Amendola, uh, he was one of the guys that gave actually responded to, you know, usually you just get form letters, but every once in a while you find some kind people who actually give you advice and critiques. And uh, Sal was one of these people, and he actually sent McFarlane a dummy script, and he said, here, here's what you do. You start working on your storytelling, your page by page, enough of these pinups. Mm -hmm. Start working on your continuity and your storytelling. Mm -hmm. So taking that advice, that's what he did. And McFarlane put together a five-page story uh, using the characters from the comic book Coyote. Remember we talked about this, Michael? Oh, yes. That's right. Now, now, yes. Now, Jake, do you remember this Coyote book published by Epic, the Epic line of Marvel? <laughs> uh, no, can't say I remember that one. Yeah, I never heard of it. And I, I, I was having trouble even finding info about it anywhere. So, um, but <laughs> I have nearly every issue. Continue. But, anyway. But you never read them, right? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. So, so he sent that into Marvel. And who did he send it to, Michael? My beloved Anne Nascenti. Really? Because she was nice. the editor of the X-Men books, or at least Uncanny X-Men at the time, or an assistant editor, I think. Okay. But anyway, she got it, and she took it, his submission, and she gave it to the editors of Coyote, and they passed it along to Steve Englehart. Englehart liked it, and he gave McFarlane a gig at doing a backstory in an issue of Coyote. Wow. So look at that. Well, that is, his perseverance paid off. Perseverance wins. Just keep doing it. Keep sending that shit in. All right. So uh, then McFarlane, after that, his first uh, regular gig was DC's Infinity Inc. from 1985 to 87, Michael. What, do you know anything about Infinity Inc.? Yes, uh, a little bit. Um, there, It was kind of like a sequel book to Justice Society of America. It was, oh, it was, okay. yeah, it was mostly made up of their children. So like two of them were Green Lantern's kids. One of them was uh, the adopted son of Hawkman, I think. And it was just kind of like, a, and it was all set in Earth 2, right? So it wasn't main DC continuity. So in Infinity Incorporated, uh, all the superheroes like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman were all old and had gray hair or they were dead. And these were their kids basically carrying on the tradition. So that wow. was it. All right. So did you ever read any of his stuff that he drew? I read a few issues, yeah. It, it's funny, because if you don't like this, this Infinity Incorporated stuff is <laughs> much worse, okay? Very sloppy. But I'll, I will say one thing, that he redesigned a couple of the characters. Like, I think he designed the, the, the new costumes for uh, Doctor, who was it, Our Man and Doctor Midnight. And he had, you can tell that he has a completely different sense of design than all the other, like, traditional superhero artists at that time. So that was really cool, you know? In 1987, he drew the final three issues of uh, Batman Year Two. I guess it was a four-issue arc in Detective Comics. Is that right, Michael? That's right. Yeah. And how did he? How did you like how he handled Batman? Did you read those? Yes, I think the two out of the three were inked by Alfred. Al, I can't remember his, his, his name, but 
uh, Alfredo Alcalca or something. And this guy is known for having a very overpowering inking style. And so it doesn't really look like McFarlane. But I think in the last issue, he inked himself and it looked really good. Oh, okay. Uh, so then he did Hulk 330 to 334 in 1987 to 88. And he also did 336 to 346. So what is that? Like, yeah. uh, I don't know, about 15 issues of uh, Hulk. And after that, he quit and he got uh, the gig at Amazing Spider-Man. And he did 298 to, 330, to 323, 325 yeah, and 328. And that was from years 1988 to 1990. And the big notable things about his run on Spider-Man, he brought back the red and blue suit. Mm-hmm. Because he told him, like, uh, he was the guy who did it because he said, hey, I'll draw Spider-Man, but I, I want the red and blue suit because that's the Spider-Man I grew up on. So they said, all right, we'll bring back the red and blue suit. And then he created Venom. As well, mm-hmm. well, co-created because technically uh, David McLeany conceived of the character. McFarlane designed the look. Yeah, so there you go, uh, <laughs> Venom, and uh, then he wrote and drew the Spider-Man issue, the series, because he became such a rock star that he wanted his own book. And he said, "I'm even <laughs> yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, and I want my own Spider-Man book that I will write and draw." And he did the first 14 issues of that. That started in 1990, and he also did issue 16. But then he quit, and <laughs> Mike L., he started Image Comics with a That's bunch right. of other writers who, or artists who thought they were writers, and they were misinformed. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they were severely <laughs> misinformed. Schedules all went out the window. Yep. And even the term artist could be put in quotes for some of them. But That's hey. true. That's another story. Uh, I felt so they uh, image comics, of course, he created Spawn, which is probably the cornerstone character of image, right? Like that's what. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the most famous one. Yeah. Basically, their Spider-Man it just became this year basically became the longest running creator owned comic. He got like the world oh. record now. Yeah. Because wow. <laughs> they reached 300. Yeah. Beat service. Wow. How about that? Uh, yeah, he drew the first 15 issues, then 21 through 24, 26 to 34, and issue 50. Um, all right, so that's those are basically all his notable um, works and comics. Like he doesn't have a huge storied career like you know some of these guys. Uh, you know, your George Perez, your John Buscema, your uh, you know John Romita yeah, Senior. He like even he stopped a... drawing Spawn at a certain point. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he doesn't well, do a whole lot of art these days. The difference is that he was probably the first household name, like outside of comics, it seems, right? Yeah. Like he was so big. And then, then it was probably Jim Lee. Then it was probably Rob Liefeld. But those three are the, like the rock stars that formed, that, yep. you know, founded Image, right? So that's his big claim to fame. Yeah, they just became so hugely popular at that time. And, uh, but it says something about American culture and I think the Americans in general that Two of those three names, Liefeld and McFarlane, really aren't that great of artists, yet they're the richest artists in the world <laughs> in terms of comic books. Uh, well, I don't even hate Liefeld. Whoa. We're going to have a follow-up to this all about Rob Liefeld, okay? <laughs> all right. But I, let's just, I just got to say this about McFarlane. When I was... When I was, what, 12 or 13, I thought he was a genius, okay? I loved it. When I was <laughs> yeah, 13, 14 years old, I loved McFarlane. I had those Spider-Man issues. Loved it. Right. But I think the thing is, is, can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Speechless. 
I think the thing is, is if I were to go back in time to like 1987 or whatever, I would say Todd and Rob, you guys have talent, but you need to go to art school for like three <laughs> to seven years and yep. learn how to draw anatomy and learn how to like be consistent and, you know, panel composition. Yeah. Like just, I, I think the thing is, is like looking at this, it's clear that he has like a nice sense of design and, you know, the way he draws machinery and experimental layouts, but he's just, very his anatomy is all over the place and he's really sloppy and he did get better like when he when he relaunched spider-man in 91 like he was obviously a much better artist at that point but the problem yeah. is he never improved after that because all of these image artists they 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 stopped trying to become better artists and they started drawing more like themselves and exaggerating their own weaknesses you know what i mean <laughs> like eric larson rob Liefeld, it's like like someone like Rob Liefeld would be like, well, I draw big shoulder pads, so I'm just going to draw bigger shoulder pads and bigger and bigger. And, <laughs> pockets. You know, yeah, Lots pockets. of pockets. And yeah. Instead Pouches. of just one. Yeah. Nasty. Like, <laughs> right. Like if you're like a, 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 anything, a writer or an artist, you, you want to, you know, learn your craft better. But these guys just sort of got into that rut and then never got out of it, I think. And the one thing I will never draw, feet. Right. Right. <laughs> 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 well, how many characters have feet? Not that many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's kind of shameful, though, when you think of uh, the old era of all these great artists. And they never had any really acclaim or made much money. And then you have McFarland and Liefeld Cash. And God bless them. You know? Now, Jim Lee, he, he's got all the money now, right? But he's really, I, yeah. I think Jim Lee's a really great artist, though. He's like top of the line. So uh, I think he's technically good, but I think the I think McFarlane is much more creative. I'd rather look at a McFarlane comic personally. Interesting. Yeah, I love Lee. He's he's right up there with one of my favorite artists. Yeah. So what's your take on McFarlane then, Jake? Uh, I like him. I got I got no beef. <laughs> Even this say issue? some of his anatomy is weird, but I mean, this was certainly not his best. This is very early. <laughs> Um, I can't say that this is as good as it gets, but even yeah. by 340, when you had that Wolverine issue, he was great there. So right. he's he got a lot better in the next yes. couple of issues. And, and he, yes, he is young here, uh, just getting its way in the, in the business. And uh, Peter David, I was researching stuff, reading about Peter David, because they have an interesting relationship. Peter David and Tom McFarlane, which we'll get into here in a minute. But uh, even Peter David said McFarlane was improving when he was working on Hulk page to page. Not even just issue to issue, but page to page, you could see him getting better. So, uh, yeah, this is early work. It's Here's the problem I had with it. Um, well, again, the anatomy. The anatomy has always been McFarlane's problem. But it is what it is. It's style, whatever. Um, his faces always look like they're made out of putty, and his hands look like, and his ears are like, just <laughs> weird. It's just weird. But if you buy into it, just go with it, all right. Um but Maybe that's uh, why Spider-Mans are so good, because you get that mask covering up all the yes, weird facial no, features. Exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. And he, he was revolutionary, Spider-Man. He gave him the big eyes, the spaghetti webbing, the exaggerated poses. Tremendous for Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Just brought a whole breath of fresh air into Spider-Man. And then, he was just so exciting back then, doing that stuff. Um, but uh, the thing in this issue, he does... Mike, a lot of times when we talk about these old issues, some of the points we bring up about some of the the art is, oh, they don't even worry about backgrounds. They just have, like, they'll just throw in a solid color as the background. Yeah, some cross-hatching. Yeah, and you see that a couple times here, but um, he's really, 
really detailed in his backgrounds. He puts a lot of effort yeah. into his backgrounds. That can be good, but it can also be really bad in the sense that it just feels so congested. It feels like the panels don't, they're so like suffocating. And especially because there's so much, uh, David puts so much uh, exposition in his dialogue and his mm. thought balloons. Some <laughs> of the panels are just so crowded. And it, That's it's a good like, point. It, it just feels suffocating trying to read them. It is not an enjoyable experience. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I liked it. He's definitely, I'll say he's definitely a way better artist than he is a writer. I, well, I tried to read the first couple issues of Spawn this year for the first time. Yeah. And boy, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was just, the story was going nowhere after like eight issues. That's yeah, true. But, it was all set up. It was great setup, but it didn't pay off, right? Yeah. 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 All those images. Oh, wow, just like, here. He ran across this guy. Why is this important? No one knows. It's like, I don't, I don't get this. <laughs> all those image fellas thought they made writers obsolete. They thought we can do it all. We can, there's no need for writers anymore. We can do it all. Okay. Good luck Didn't with that. Yeah. Um, well. So yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of this McFarlane here. Uh, but we, what, what can you do? You know, but. Uh, I think the thing too, is that um, if you ever hear him talk, like, let's be clear, he is, he's not the brightest fellow. Like he might be, <laughs> business smart and he might be like charming and funny but he is not like a scholar and i think what it comes down to is he does have talent but he, he doesn't have wisdom you know like he has the, he has the talent to be able to draw well but he doesn't have the wisdom to know what not to draw and what to leave out you know what i mean i think that's his problem yeah just, i can see that yeah just not thoughtful yeah does he even <laughs> still does he still even draw today? Is he still doing anything? No. Like, I think he might have drawn Spawn 300, maybe some of it. Yeah, but... or, or part of 301, something like that. I know they made right. some big story about he was coming back to do part of an issue or something. Right, yeah. But no, other than that, I think he just, he probably just, you know, sends out a, an email with a, a five-line plot summary, and then someone else writes it, and someone else draws it, right? Yeah. He does a <laughs> lot of, like, uh, tutorials, I think, online. I've seen a lot of things I've, like videos yeah. of him drawing watched, venom and stuff like that i've watched i've watched some of them yeah um yeah even though good. i don't want to draw like todd mcfarland i still watch them just to try and learn but um, <laughs> uh yeah and he did make all that money off the toys mcfarland toys super yeah, rich. Did. all those football guys our buddy the ed was buying right the mcfarland's yeah pocket. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a so whole yeah, empire unto itself. He's super rich, but there's uh, he, he's in, he was involved in some controversies that we need to discuss, and especially one we'll get into the Peter David one here in a minute, but a, a couple other ones. Um, another hockey one. He got in trouble with uh, my buddy Tony Twist, a former right. enforcer for the St. Louis Blues, because uh, Todd McFarlane named the villain in Spawn after Tony Twist, and mm. then Tony Twist sued him. Because the character is a despicable, a horrible person. And Tony Twist says, you know, that's damaging my reputation. Uh, and so they took him to court. And Tony Twist actually won a uh, ruling for $24 million. That's <laughs> crazy. Holy it's insane. <laughs> so they appealed it. And uh, they eventually, uh, they were in the courts for like seven years. And eventually they settled it out of court without a ruling. And McFarland paid Twist $5 million. Wow. Wow. That seems ridiculous. You just named him like Tony Twint or something. Just change yeah. one letter and you're good. Yeah. yeah, like his full name was Antonio Twistolini or something like that, but everyone called him Tony Twist as a nickname. <laughs> and so that got him, he lost all that money. And the $5 million plus all the loss, the lawyers and everything, holy hell. Wow. Um, 
kind of a dick move from Tony Twist too when we're at mm-hmm. it. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> Just say, all right, no, no problem, whatever. But yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Connor, Connor uh, ruined my opinion of Tony Twist when I found out all this because it's pretty stupid. All right. Um, also, uh, he got in trouble with Neil Gaiman, Michael. Yes. Would you like to explain this? Well, okay, so to make a long story short, um, there's a <laughs> character called Miracle Man, okay? But Miracle Man's original name was Marvel Man, okay? Marvel okay. Man also happens to be the name of a Marvel superhero who later changed his name to Quasar. But that's neither here nor there, okay? <laughs> so there was a character called Marvel Man in the UK that was an old 50s Captain Marvel Shazam knockoff. The character disappeared. In the 1980s, Alan Moore brought Marvel Man back and basically like changed comics forever by making him realistic and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, he does the book for a few years. Eventually, he leaves and he then Neil Gaiman takes over. Now, this is where it gets weird. UK has different copyright laws. And to my limited knowledge of how it works, if you write and draw a comic strip in Britain, then you automatically own it. Okay, that's the way I understand it. I'm not sure if it means you own the character, but like if you draw, if you draw a story, as far as I know, you partially own that story. So I think what happened was was the publisher at the time, Mick Anglo, claimed that he owned Marvel Man. So he hired Alan Moore to write it for a few years. So then Alan Moore either became a partial owner of the character or at least an owner of those stories. Then Neil Gaiman took over, so Neil Gaiman became an owner as well. After all, so then. Uh, so then uh, the rights all fall apart, the companies go bankrupt, and Marvel Man slash Miracle Man is in legal limbo for years. For some reason, Todd McFarlane decides to buy the rights to the character. I, I think he might have just bought Eclipse Comics and Marvel Man Miracle Man came with it. I'm not sure. But then basically, uh, he only writes the characters and he stuck Marvel Man slash Miracle Man in an issue of Spawn. Like, it might have just been an arm or it might have been a cameo appearance, but he Uh-oh. did something. Yeah. Then, you were talking earlier about how uh, the image creators didn't, they thought that they could replace the writers. Well, McFarlane wised up, and after about eight issues of Spawn, he actually hired four writers in a row to do guest issues of Spawn. And, and they, from memory, it was Alan Moore, Frank Miller, Dave Sim, and Neil Gaiman. And in Neil Gaiman's issue of Spawn, Neil issue Gaiman... nine. Issue nine, nine, Neil Gaiman created a character called Angela. Mm, yes. yes. So a then, couple other, a couple <laughs> other characters too. Okay, Angela okay. Mainly Angela, yeah. So several years go by. I don't know how long, 10 years. And I don't remember what the next thing that happened was, but basically Neil Gaiman decided, okay, I signed this thing that said that I got to own the characters that I created for Spawn, but now McFarlane's telling me he owns Angela and he's, creating figures and he's doing spinoffs and blah, blah, blah. So he de- he decided to go to court uh, against McFarlane, but apparently he couldn't afford the legal costs. So he teamed up with Marvel Comics and Marvel and Neil Gaiman uh, basically fought for the rights of Angela and Miracle Man slash Marvel Man in one big case. And eventually they <laughs> won. And so because of that, Angela became... I think partially owned by Neil Gaiman and Marvel, but then Angela started appearing in Marvel comics. And yeah, they made her a secret sister of Thor. Okay. Ridiculous. Yeah. So now Marvel comics owns Miracle man slash Marvel man. And to make a very, very long story short, 
They thought that they had another Watchmen on their hands, which technically they did. But when they reprinted uh, the old Miracle Man stories by Alan Moore, they completely fucked it up. And instead of just <laughs> publishing the issues that that Alan Moore did, they loaded up all the issues with all these backup stories and 1950s reprints and text and it confused the hell out of everybody and basically it didn't sell well and so it kind of sputtered out went nowhere i you actually didn't it? buy those issues. i haven't oh. read them oh. <laughs> what is it with <laughs> you guys you, you both buy jank bought those comic books but hasn't read them oh you jake both... they're amazing anyway <laughs> you both buy comic books and then never read them what are you doing <laughs> You realize, okay, this is why, okay, because I have 1,000 unread comics, okay? And so whenever <laughs> I buy a new one or a new collection, I have to, like, put it at the back of the list, you know, because I have to read the other ones that I bought first. <laughs> That's basically it. Yep. So. Ridiculous. Yeah, I've got, like, 15,000 comics. It's not surprising that some of them I have not read yet. <laughs> Just exactly. a few more details about this uh, <clears throat> game and situation. <clears throat> one of the big things is, like, the hypocrisy of McFarlane here. Exactly. All these image guys, what they were saying when they were leaving Marvel was, we want to own our characters. If you create a character, you should own it in perpetuity. You know, it shouldn't be the company. Meanwhile, Gaiman comes in, creates a character, and then uh, McFarland takes it. Ridiculous. And the other thing, the reason Gaiman took him to court over all this was, um, I believe, he, he and the McFarland kind of made a deal where Gaiman said, all right, I'll forget about all that stuff you owe me about Angela uh, if you trade me the rights to, what is it, Marvel Man? Uh, is that yeah, a Miracle Man slash Marvel Man, same okay. character, yeah. Because he thought McFarlane owned the rights, but technically, Mike Al, he did not own the rights. McFarlane only owned the rights to two logos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a slight yeah. discrepancy there. Yeah, okay. and apparently, like, even McFarland thought he owned more than that. Like, you mentioned he wasn't the smartest guy. I, I think this could be part of it as well. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. So, so when Gaiman realized, wait, I'm only getting two logos out of this? Fuck that, I'm taking you to court. So that's when they all went to court. <laughs> okay. And then when Gaiman got, Gaiman got the rights to Angela and everything, and he had to pay him money and stuff, and then Gaiman sold the rights to Marvel. He just uh. sold them. Yeah, he okay. just gave him the mark, sold him. Uh, so yeah, that's all that. Um, all right, so, so now we got. Oh, so go ahead. Sold Angela to Marvel, but what about Marvel Man? That went straight to Marvel. I don't know about Marvel Man. He did okay. sell Angela. I believe so. Yeah, that was put out by Marvel. Those reprints yeah. and everything. So I think yeah, yeah, they own that now. Okay. So uh, we got to talk about another big controversy with McFarland and Peter David at Comic Fest 1993. Peter, David, and Todd McFarlane had a public debate. Oh. Are you yes. guys aware of this? I like those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, McFarlane was upset at the time at the way the media was uh, representing Image Comics. And David had a wrote a regular column, I think it called but I I think it was called But I Digress and like yeah. comic box guy. And he would often criticize the Image Comics. He would say that it's it was just a cash grab. It was money over quality. And that they, uh, and the Image, like Eric Larson and stuff, wrote an anonymous letter in saying well, they've made writers obsolete uh -huh. in their future. And these are just old dinosaurs, you know, all mad at the, the new youth coming in. Mm. So McFarlane challenged Peter David to a debate at Comic Fest 1993. And you can find videos of it. It's out there online. Oh, really? Yeah, there's oh, a video. I need to watch this. I didn't watch it because I just I don't know. I, I <laughs> when I was reading all about both these two, they sound insufferable. Both of them. 
um, just reading <laughs> their personal lives. <laughs> it just sounds like they're both really egotistical and just completely insufferable. Um, so I didn't want to. Well, it seems like anyway. uh, you're challenging a writer to a you know a talking competition. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. yeah, you're Todd McFarlane, who's not the brightest bulb. And I believe Todd McFarlane <laughs> showed up like shirtless. I think he was wearing boxing trunks, like that. <laughs> and and P young Peter David kind of looks like Ron Jeremy. If you yeah, Ron Jeremy. That's fair. Uh, so I, so I really don't want to watch it. But apparently, uh, they had three. George Perez was the uh, the uh, moderator, and they had three judges. And the judges scored it two to one for David. Um, but David afterwards, uh, he said he prepared for this extensively. He did a lot of work. <laughs> he read like four books on debating and he did mock <laughs> debates with his family members and friends. He was and I have a feeling McFarland just showed up, you know. Yeah. Probably. yeah. So like I got a costume. That's good enough. So David won. But uh he he said he felt bad afterwards because it just brought more attention to McFarland and he shouldn't have even did it but it i still don't know where their relationship is these days um but it's kind of sad that they worked on hulk together and now then then they became like kind of rival enemies rival, yeah yeah i think that happened a lot although at least some of them i think he patched up like i think Pe uh, peter david and joe casada who he was working with on uh, x factor with for a while like they had a falling out when peter david left uh, but eventually, I think they patched that back up again because, you know, Joe Casada was in charge of Marvel. <laughs> yeah, and Peter continued to work there. So, um, didn't Casada draw X Factor for a while? Yep, that's what, yeah. that's what did it. Basically, he yeah. was always chronically behind, and like Peter David was pissed that he had to keep having these like shitty fill in artists. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> um, and then what else are they going to say about this? Uh, oh, but David also had a big feud with Eric Larson, I guess. Another Marvel image. Yeah, guy. I think it's Eric Larson. He, again, he was dissing his writing, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, something like that. He also well, think, worked... Oh, I'm sorry, but I think Peter David was making fun of Larson because he just said uh, Savage Dragon is just Hulk with a fin on his head. Oh, okay, okay. Which <laughs> is <laughs> pretty accurate. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I recently got into a feud with Eric Larson, but I, I did the I did the <laughs> You're in a feud with Eric Larson. I am also in a feud with Eric Larson. No, it consisted of one misunderstood, uh, like not misunderstood, but one tweet, and I got so pissed off, I just blocked him and I stopped him following him on Twitter. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Eric Larson. Anyway. Yeah, I want to get Eric Larson on the show now so we can confront go. Mike L. It'll be like a Maury Povich situation. I'll, I'll say, hey, Mike L., this week I want to do a Batman issue. And then Mike L. will show up all excited. And I'm like, just kidding, Mike L. Eric Larson, here he is. And then I'll bring him oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> boy. And um, by the way, Eric Larson followed McFarlane on Amazing Spider-Man. He took over for him after Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a big dip in the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. when I first saw it because he also followed McFarlane on Hulk for one issue. Did you know that? Yeah, the last issue yeah. of that story is Eric Larson. When I first saw it, I couldn't tell the difference, and then I realized I hated it. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, we didn't mention the cover. We didn't mention the cover of Hulk three thirty four. It's done by a fellow named Steve Geiger. Right, Geiger. And I guess he drew some web of Spider-Man and some issues of Hulk. And that was pretty much it. But uh, I don't know much about Steve Geiger. 
No, it's kind of a All realistic. Seven was the year of the reader. Oh, coming <laughs> <laughs> to this back. cover here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the cover is just Hulk punching through uh, Half Life's belly. He's putting his fist right, right. through his belly. Right. Um, it's an okay cover. Nothing too great, but uh, it seems like there's a lot of empty space, though. Like I don't know. Well, it's, it's almost <laughs> like they could add text, right? But they just decided not to. Maybe. Yeah. So it looks weird. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So there it is, Hulk, Hulk three thirty four. I, I think that's everything. Anything else about McFarland or David you'd like to say, Michael? No, I just uh, you know it was a pleasure to reread you know these early issues again. Not quite as good as the later ones, but I still enjoy mm-hmm. them. Um, all right, so Michael, one out of ten, what would you give it? Ooh, I I would give it a ooh, I'd give it at least a six, I think, at oh. least maybe maybe a seven. Like it's pretty rough. That's what I was leaning. Holy hell! I'd probably seven. give it a six. Yeah, oh, yeah, six. I'll go, I'll go six. Yeah, I definitely uh, can't go any lower than five. Six sounds good to me. It's got room for improvement, but you know, I love, I like it. It was good. Yeah. You know what sounds good to me? Three. Three oh. sounds good to me. <laughs> not a fan of the you writing. Not a, everything. not a fan of the writing, not a fan of the art. <laughs> this was not good at all. But I, I did enjoy learning more about the Hulk because I really don't know much about the Hulk. So I, I enjoyed doing the research and reading up on the Hulk. So that was something. And I do have a new favorite comic book character of all time, Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to dress as Ramon for Halloween next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dressed as a Ramon right now. <laughs> Swinging medallion. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think everybody should read at least the the Peter David McFarlane issues of the Hulk. I think those are great. Yeah, I'm gonna after because again, this is the first Peter David ever. So I'm gonna have to go read some more Peter David because I can't let this be my impression of Peter David. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bad. It's better the more you read because, like I said, he does play the long game and really sets yeah. things up. The yeah, more the you read, here, more like I said, the plotting, the big picture stuff in this issue was was great. That was well done. It's the yeah. smaller stuff that really was bad. <laughs> but anyway, and check all out right. like X Factor number eighty seven, the one where they're just all in therapy. Like that's I have that issue. issue right there. I oh, have that issue. and I really like that issue. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. You know what I just didn't like about that issue? And I haven't read it since it came out. So what was that? You know, the 90s at some point? Yeah, 90s. But I, I still have one thing I remember from the issue, Jank. Uh, in Quicksilver, in his therapy session, he's putting together a puzzle of a snail. Do you remember this? <laughs> yep. And, and I get the, sim- the, the symbolism of, oh, well, that's great. But the puzzle is so childlike in the drawing. Like, <laughs> that puzzle. It should have been like 400. You know, yes. Or, it should have been a really yeah. It's hard to draw that though. It was just so goofy. Like it was just a big picture of a snail. I'm like, oh, like a two year old could put it together in five seconds. And yeah, I don't know. It just seemed weird. But I get the symbolism of the snail on it because he was talking about how everything around him is so slow. So yeah, slow. so good. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I really could empathize with it. I have that same feeling all the time. Really? <laughs> it's very slow. <laughs> so, how do I combat that? By taking naps. so that just checks out logically (laughs) so mike so mike l next week on the big show um i'm all confused mike because we're recording all these shows the the batman show we did hasn't even been released yet and we're no it has not no it's being released tomorrow yeah i'm very confused 
So, but I think <laughs> the next episode after this one here, this Hulk one, I think our buddy cousin Brandon will be joining us, another Excellent. guest. And because he's joining us, it'll count as one of my picks. And then you can have two picks in a row after that. Uh, but I believe cousin Brandon wants to do Secret Wars issue one. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be spectacular. Looking I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Um, so otherwise, uh, Kevin Jank, good job, buddy. Um, oh, thanks. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah we'd love fun. to have you back on again. Maybe we can talk about Peter David again or some other <laughs> yeah. Anytime. I think you're he's honestly probably my favorite writer um, wow. of comic books. Okay. Because he's the one guy who's kind of always solid. Like, we didn't yeah. even talk about Spider Man 2099 or Scarlet Spider or all these things he's done. They're all just solid. Yeah. Yeah. His body of work is very extensive. Like, we just touched on the highlights. And he's also done a lot of novels. Um, oh, for, yeah. Uh, he did a got, great Hulk one in the 90s. Yeah. And he, I think he did some, uh, maybe the Avengers novelizations of the movies or something. Or oh. I don't know. We didn't even mention Star Trek. He did Star yes. Trek novels, Star Trek comics, yep. and they're awesome, yeah. Yep, Star Trek. But here's the other thing. Uh, he did all this work, and then he had to go do a GoFundMe because he wanted fans to pay for his back taxes. What the fuck? Hey, I only gave, I only gave him 50 bucks, okay? So no, you didn't. No, I, I, did, I, did, I gave him money. I don't remember how much, but I did give him money, yes. That was pay, it was payback for all those awesome issues of Spectacular Spider-Man, okay? Mike, yeah, I'm, I'm still paying my taxes from last year. Can you send me $50? <laughs> no, because you didn't write Aquaman. <laughs> but I what have you done for me lately, Mike, though? <laughs> but come on, that's a real dick move. Don't pay your taxes and then ask your fans to pay them for you. That is fucking ridiculous. No? <sighs> Maybe no? you finish that comic book you're trying to write, and then we'll give you money. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> pay your you damn taxes. <laughs> I just think that is ignorant beyond words. But anyway, all right. So, uh, but Jank, yeah, we got to get you back on here to, uh, cause, cause Mike, he was initially going to pick a Spider-Man issue. So, uh, maybe we'll bring you back to talk some Spider-Man. That'd be yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Anytime. All right, Jank. Th thanks buddy. And again, go to the LCS uh, radio network and listen to original Janksters blog talk radio.com slash LCS. There you go. Yeah. It's on sporadically. <laughs> <laughs> Like, kind of, yes, we stick to our schedule, right, Mike Dell? Every week. Yeah, Jank is on that image uh, schedule. Or, uh, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you hit the deadline, sometimes you don't. Who cares? <laughs> so I had to drop feet this month. So <laughs> yeah, so he's a little late. <laughs> All right, Mike, I think I we're guess, done. All right, that wraps it up then. Until next Tuesday night, this has been Flea Market Fantasy. See you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.